Chapter 20 Young Folks' History of the American Revolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colonel Gary Bohannon. GaryBohannon.com. Young Folks' History of the American Revolution by Everett Tomlinson. Bennington. Colonel John Stark was a New Hampshire man, strong and rugged as the great hills he had seen from his boyhood, and almost as immovable as they in his sturdy independence. He had been a soldier in the French and Indian War, and had borne a sturdy part in the fights at Bunker Hill and at Trenton and Princeton. When Congress had appointed the new generals, Stark had been passed over, just as Benedict Arnold had been, and like Arnold he too had withdrawn in anger and disgust from the contest. Neither man, however, had been able to stop fighting. So strong was the hatred of each for the invading redcoats, and so keen was the desire to protect the country from the Indians. So when New Hampshire placed him in command of a force, although this action might only serve to increase the jealous feelings of the colonies, Stark quickly responded, eager not only to harass Burgoyne, but also to show that he could have a share in the struggle in spite of Congress. When he arrived at Manchester, Vermont, he found a large body of his fellow countrymen there, who, though they were nominally under the command of Lincoln, whom Schuyler had sent there, yet shared with the doughty colonel much of his own feeling. And when Lincoln informed him of Schuyler's order to march and join him, Stark replied that he did not receive orders from anyone as to where he should go. So leaving Lincoln at Manchester with 600 men, he himself with his own immediate followers pushed rapidly on to Bennington, resolved to protect the stores at that place. Stark, however, had a strong feeling of regard for Schuyler, and had no real intention of leaving the desperate general in his trouble. Indeed, he had his men under arms, and was just about to set forth to join Schuyler, when a woman came running to him with word that Indians were all about the adjoining town. Instantly the colonel sent two hundred men to quiet the Indians, but they soon sent word to him that behind the savages was a large Hessian force, which evidently was moving toward Bennington. Word was swiftly sent to Lincoln at Manchester to come to Stark's aid, and the following day Stark himself moved out toward the place by which it was said the Hessians were approaching. A skirmish soon followed, for he found the report to be true, and Colonel Baum speedily halted and began to erect defenses on a hill near the Willumsack River, and sent word to the Hessians who were following to make all haste to come to his aid. The next day was too rainy for an attack, so the picks and shovels of the Germans were used all the time in fashioning Baum's redoubts. Colonel Stark was, however, strengthened by the arrival of bodies of militia from western Massachusetts, who were eager to fight. Indeed, so eager were they, that in response to the complaint of a preacher who, with the men, in his, with the men of his congregation, had hastened to the defense of Bennington, that they were never given any fighting to do, no matter how often they might be called out, Colonel Stark said, if the Lord should give us sunshine once more, and I do not give you fighting enough, I will never ask you to turn out again. On the following day, the Lord gave the desired sunshine, and Stark provided all the fighting that Berkshire men desired. At noon, August 16, 1777, Stark formed his men for an advance upon the little hill where the Hessians had entrenched themselves. In small companies of a half dozen or more, he had been sending men around through the opposite side of this hill, but the Hessians had given them no heed. Perhaps they thought they were the long-expected Tories who were to come to their aid. It was a serious problem that confronted the untrained men with Stark. The Hessians were holding strong entrenchments, 
they had cannon, and the soldiers were looked upon as among the best troops in all Europe. Yet when the rough colonel, pointing his sword at the hill, shouted to his men, There, my lads, are the Hessians. Tonight our flag floats over yonder hill, or Molly Stark is a widow. Not a man in the ranks flinched. About the middle of the afternoon the sound of guns came from the rear of the hill, and this signal for the beginning of the fight caused the men in the front, in the rear, and on the flanks to rush forward together in an assault. Closer and closer came the men. The fire became hotter and hotter. Baum and his men were fighting bravely, but the determined Yankees could not be held back, much less driven back. Why did not Bremen come to their aid? Would the darkness never fall to put an end to the fight? For a moment the guns of the brave but disheartened Hessians were silent, and instantly the Americans climbed over the breastworks and rushed upon the enemy. But the Hessians were not ready yet to give up. Casting aside their guns and drawing the heavy, short broadswords with which every soldier was equipped, they fought hand to hand. Slowly Stark's men forced them backward, until what was left of the force broke and fled. Apparently the fight had been won and the victorious Americans, without a thought of the oncoming force under Bremen, were eagerly seizing the plunder or looking after the wounded and the prisoners, when suddenly the fresh band of Hessians appeared upon the scene. For a moment it seemed as if the victory the Yankees had won was to be lost, for the tired Yankee militiamen were quickly forced backward. But just at that time Colonel Warner and his men arrived from Manchester, and threw themselves with all their strength into the struggle. The cannon taken from Baum were now turned upon the front of Bremen's column, while sharpshooters, with deadly aim, were pouring their fire into his ranks from the flanks. Foot by foot the desperate Hessians gave way. Horses fell in their traces. The roar of the cannon was unceasing, and the pop of the rifles did not cease. Darkness was fast coming on, and before the fierce onslaught, which the Americans now made, the lines at last broke and the Hessians fled. For a brief time the victors pursued them, but almost worn out by the heat and strain of the double battle, they soon returned to count their spoils and rejoiced together over the battle won. Four cannon, seven hundred prisoners, one thousand stand of arms, and one thousand dragoon swords of the enemy had come into their possession, and two hundred seven of the fallen Hessians lay dead or wounded upon the field. The Americans had protected their stores and lost only fourteen killed and had only forty-two wounded. The effect of the battle was almost electric. Instantly the courage and zeal of the patriots seemed to return, while Burgoyne, disappointed, wondering where his Tory allies were to come from, and how he was to obtain supplies for his army, his Indian allies beginning rapidly to leave him, changed his position and began to question whether after all the despised peasants were conquered or not, and if it might not be possible that Britons did sometimes retreat. End of chapter 20